Up next is Jane Cornwell, an author, journalist and critic writing mainly about global music, arts and culture. She's also one of my mum's best friends who's been letting me crash at her place in London. Thank you very much. to indulge me with this a little bit and for the people that haven't been I mean this is about land so this is about kind of where I grew up and I went down to Australia for the WOMAD festival and this pandemic kind of hit and um, suddenly I was stuck there for a year and a half <laughs> and I've been here 30 years so you know there we are um, right I was 17,000 kilometers from home when the world lurched and went into lockdown I could have jumped on a plane and made it back to London before the border shut and face masks became a thing, but I figured this strange new global pandemic wouldn't last very long. Anyway, this was March. Mum's garden in Montrose was sun-dappled, festooned with roses and pink and white camellias and visited by crimson rosellas. I'd look up from my book to watch them tipping from a branch to peck at a bell-shaped feeder, tisking each time they were chased off by a cockatoo or a gang of common miners. They're pests, those miners, Mum always says, has done from when we first lived in Muralbark, a suburb over, in a, mini, in a mint green weatherboard bungalow opposite a footy oval, tennis courts and horse paddocks that ended up being subdivided and built on, even though I was always going over and pulling the surveyor's pegs out. <laughs> Our house in Muralbark had an uninterrupted view of Mount Dandenong, which was either royal blue or dark grey, depending on what the weather was doing. It had a cluster of TV transmitter towers on its top and a bald stripe down its middle that looked like someone had taken a razor to it. Sometimes a kangaroo would boing down from the firebreak onto the oval and get chased about by kids and dogs, including Biscuit, a Labrador Spaniel Cross. Or one of the plovers that lived in the reeds along Brushy Creek, a brown trickle that we case for tadpoles, would be pounced on at night by a fox, and its shrieks would echo in the dark. Muralbark had an Aboriginal name, a white demographic, and not much to distinguish it aside from five ways roundabout, a feat of town planning that was admittedly years ahead of its time. <laughs> five ways the hub from which my young life diverged, that way was St Francis of Assisi Church and Sunday School. That way was Moorabark train station, second last stop on the Lilydale line. That way was Pembroke High, the roughest guts school where kids could smoke, wear whatever, and traumatise clueless to first formers like me. Moorabark Primary, that way, was where I was a house captain, first goalie in the second netball team, and wore my purple satin writer of the week ribbon for a month. Where inter-school sports days thrilled with rhythmic opportunity, M double O, R double O, B A R K, go Muralbark, we chant, <laughs> rolling the syllables around in our mouths. That way, the fifth way, went up past five way shops, where 20 cents worth of mixed lollies, buddies, bananas, mates, teeth, filled a white paper bag you couldn't quite get your hands around. Where I thought the green ghost's name was Mr. Spencer because he always wore one, and a little hair salon sealed Mum's beehive under a shell pink hood dryer that would still flip up like a lid in a high wind. Mum remembers standing on the lawn of her new house in Moorabark, holding the newborn me and thinking, is this it? <laughs> Before meeting Dad, she'd been an air hostess for Aussie Airline TAA, sailed down the Suez Canal and been chauffeured to a garden party at Buckingham Palace. When she got back from overseas, the Herald printed her photo with a caption telling of her trip and also including her measurements. <laughs> Mum ended up teaching toddler group in the Moorabark kindergarten behind the petrol station, the one towards the, the train station from Five Ways. She played piano at St Francis on Sundays and tennis on Saturdays on the red clay courts behind the oval, from where the pock-pock of balls cut through birdsong lawnmower hum and the popping of car horns if there was a Saturday footy match on. Maybe Dad loved Moralbark a bit more than Mum did. 
After graduating from Melbourne Grammar, he'd gone into insurance, which was cool back then, and had a job driving around the Yarra Ranges in a company car inspecting claims. He'd ring from a phone box an Emerald or Yalek and tell us he was on his way home and arrive as we were watching Doctor Who, awaiting our chops and three veg. Dad we knew all the best Sunday drives were. We'd pile into the car after lunch, three kids in the back, mum in the passenger seat, dad behind the wheel, the Melways directory in the glove box. Off we'd go towards Hillsville via Coldstream and Coombe Cottage, which you knew had once belonged to the world-famous opera diva Dame Nellie Melba, but could only imagine on account of it being hidden behind a massive green hedge. Hillsville might get dad quoting C.J. Dennis. No rest is there in cities, and little ease to find, but the hills that circle Hillsville hold content and peace of mind, he'd recite. He'd pour Fanta from a bottle into plastic cups. We sat around a log table in Badgerweir picnic grounds, surrounded by towering mountain ash and serenaded by the carillon pings of bellbirds, the fresh air picking at our nostrils. We'd keep driving north along the Black Spur, down a winding ribbon of bitumen flanked by moss-covered rainforest, us kids squishing right and left as the car leaned into the curves. Coming back via Warburton, we'd stop for a paddle pop at the shops backing onto Yarra River, then walk up the dirt track with the little stone bridges to La La Falls. Ooh la la, mum would yell the moment she spotted the water cascading over a ledge of rock, framed by silver wattle and into a pool below. She was always reminding us that she'd been to France, though having grown up in rural Victoria, <laughs> she felt a kinship with the Aussie landscape and the more aesthetically pleasing flora and fauna that lived within it. Listen. She'd stop, her head cocked, raising a finger to her ear. We'd wait for the bush to settle, then hear a sound like a whip cracking coming from inside a gully of ferns, a lyrebird. Like bush spirits or drop bears, lyrebirds were heard and not seen, which made their mimicry, the sharp wootish of a whip bird, the raucous cack of a kookaburra, even more spooky. I'd seen them in pictures. I'd imagine one scratching around, bobbing its shy brown head, fanning out its silvery tail feathers, figuring out which impression to do next. Look, there was the Yarra, as clear as you like, circumnavigating rocks, flowing over pebbles and grit, running so close to the road that if I leaned way out of the car window, I could almost trail my fingers through it. There was just so much to see. Antique shops, timber trestle bridges, green and gold fields with black and white cows, tulip farms, rhododendron gardens, dams with water lilies, walks with a thousand steps, funny koalas stoned on eucalyptus leaves and the tree branches at, U at Hillsville Sanctuary. All this was out there in Moralbark's backyard. But for Dad, the best thing about Moralbark was the view. How's that view, he'd say, sitting on a cream-wrought iron two-seater patio set out in a veranda colonised by curls of purple wisteria. You just can't beat a view like that. In 1989, I went to London, but each year I'd return to sit on the veranda with Dad and gaze at the view that remained unbeatable. In 2003, Mum moved to Montrose, which, depending on which route you took from five ways, was either that way past Pembroke High or that way past St Francis, where we'd upended Dad's ashes into a freshly dug hole in the green patch of Memorial Garden around the back. Mum bought a newish red brick house behind my brother's place and planted roses, lilac, grevillea and the plum tree onto whose branches she now hooks the feeders for the rosellas. She's closer to Mount Dandenong, but the view isn't as great. There's nowhere to sit and gaze. The focus is on what's close a wasp backstroking in a birdbath, the postman revving away from the mailbox, Max and Emma, my brother's kelpie dog, sniffling through the slats of the sticking wooden gate that separates the two backyards. The dirt inside Mum's house, which post-Dad, who is the domestic one, gets me roaming between rooms brandishing a duster, a vacuum and disinfectant spray. <laughs> Mum has always hated cleaning. There's other more important stuff for her, like her U3A classes, table tennis, drawing, painting, and until she tore her rotator cuff weeding, Tai Chi. There's her visits to Montrose Library, her piano playing at St James, whose congregation she joined after St Francis was bought up and closed down. The mess was made worse by her beloved King Charles Spaniel Rosie, but Mum doesn't mind at all. 
Tiny lizards sun themselves on her skirting boards. An enormous huntsman teleports from the front living room to the kitchen ceiling to the wall of the spare bedroom just above my head. That's just Fred, says Mum, who names her huntsman as I wail. <laughs> Under her bed, I find the husks of slaters and little curly worms and a cockroach that may or may not be playing dead. I sweep it into the dustpan and take it to show her quivering with exasperation. Ah, those things come miles for a crumb, she says, leaving the top off the margarine and heading outside to smell the roses. <laughs> Each year I return to stay with Mum, looking out for her white Hyundai as the train rolls into Moorabuck Station. I push back the driver's seat and head off past the kindergarten, then that way past Pembroke High, or from 2010 when someone burnt it down where it used to be, along streets empty of people, past houses with landscape gardens, the occasional speedboat in a driveway, the odd Australian flag on a pole. Each time I'm struck by the sense of space, and aside from the V8 roar of the 1967 Pontiac Firebird my brother is rebuilding, the sense of calm. A routine emerges. I clean. I birdwatch. I walk Max or Emma along the pipeline, a grassy strip between a stretch of wooden fences and jealous barking dogs. I pick roses and camellias and take them down to St Francis Church. So Mum is doing okay, I tell Dad, who had worried, as I sit next to a rose bush on somebody's memorial bench. I note the church's boarded up windows and out front the surveyor's pegs and I think about pulling them out. Normally I to and fro, a few days at mum's, a few days in town, back to mum's again. More than that and I feel like I'm regressing, mum feels bossed about and picked on. You might think you're a woman of the world, she'll say, walking off with a cup of tea and leaving the milk out. But I remember when you were so miserable at grade five school camp that we had to come and collect you. <laughs> But then came the pandemic and no one could go anywhere. The shops ran out of toilet paper, hand sanitizer, pasta. I bought hand soap in bulk and got spraying and wiping. I sprayed and wiped the door handles and the car keys, the telephone and the television handset, the groceries, the dog and the collar on the dog. <laughs> then grocery deliveries were booked up. The church sanitized, social distanced, then closed for the foreseeable. Locked down in their flats, friends in London complained on social media of cabin fever, of the impossibility of social distancing in a city with narrow footpaths and too many people. I started hearing about people I vaguely knew catching the virus and worried about my peer group. You're in the best place, they said. Lucky you. It took Montrose a while to take things seriously. Rules were flouted, advice ignored, mask wearers were teased. Is this a stick-up? Quipped a guy in the register queue at the IGA supermarket. Then yellow X's and lines to stand behind appeared on the floors of the chemist and the post office. The chip shop started taking orders through the door from the street. The library shut. The bottle shop boomed. The Yarra Ranger stretched out its arms. I walked Max or Emma along footpaths etched with chalk rainbows and the words stay safe, swirling in pastels. Teddy bears watched from the windows, spoodles and labradoodles waggled. <laughs> Nature relaxed. Mum, gardening, stood dazzled by a tiny bird she later identified as a spotted pardalot, a tall tree dweller emboldened. She rang the birdman on ABC radio to tell him. Also, <laughs> she said, how can I get rid of those pesky common miners? Each day I walked further, then further still, away from the foothills, leaning into the steep, unmade old coach road, where the settlers had swayed in horse-drawn wagonettes and thick bushland had hid illicit stills. I took the rolling Singleton track into the Dandenong Ranges National Park through rising bush that watched and creaked and waited. At its end I found another trail, a challenge of bald red earth and rocks which drew me up and up. For an hour more I climbed, clambering over outcrops, stepping over logs, spraying showers of stones, it wasn't until I got near the top and saw the hulking steel lattice base of a TV transmitter tower that I realised where I was, that I'd done something I'd always wanted to do without even knowing I was doing it. I'd climbed the firebreak. There in the distance was the city skyline. Down there was Montrose and just behind it Moorabark. Uninterrupted, the view stretched and shimmered. Next to me, a tuft of wildflowers moved in the breeze. I sat for a while in the sunshine, trying to spot five ways, the footy oval, a house with the wisteria. Other climbers arrived. Some people wandered down from the car park. 
How's that for you, they said. Unbeatable, I said, whichever way you look at it. Mm -hmm.